three questions. The first question, when do you know to stop when you are meditating? When the bell goes. Very <laughs> <laughs> simple. Don't you think? When the bell goes, it's time for lunch. We stop. Why do you want to stop? Uh, you mean when you're meditating, you cannot stop? Yeah, if you're meditating, you cannot stop. You know what that means? You're sleeping. You already doze into sleeping. You don't know when to stop, what, who you are. Well, I have people who, every time when we have the seven days meditation retreat, the same question always came, same, not the same person, the same all, the question always asked of me. It says, Reverend, I, um, it seems that I went into samadhi. So I started to meditate on the third day, and then suddenly I, I got into concentration. I got into emptiness. And then when I woke up, it's already one hour. So is that concentration in samadhi? So I came and asked him, I said, how do you feel? I don't know, I, I, I didn't feel anything. I said, yes, you were sleeping. <laughs> because you don't know anything, you are sleeping. And that is not meditation, that is sleeping. And sleeping is a major shortcoming of, of your practice. There was uh, a monk, a very high level meditating monk. And when he, when he got to a certain age, uh, a senior age, about 70, and every time he continued meditating, he fell asleep. So he said, I cannot keep on like this. If, if I, I'm always sleeping, I'm, I'm sleeping away my time. If I keep on sleeping in every meditation, I'm wasting my time. He said, I must find a method so that I won't go to sleep. He found a cliff, and he was meditating right at the edge of the cliff. It's like here, meditating in here. So he was on a cliff, and down below is 100 feet. So if you meditate, if you meditate in there, and then if you sleep, boom, you fall into an abyss, you fall into the cliff and you died, a hundred feet down. So that's how I must, because I want to enlighten, I want to have enlightenment, I want to get away from reincarnation, I don't want to reincarnate anymore, I must get enlightenment. So he was meditating on a cliff, at the edge of the cliff, and he was meditating at this time. He had to be very alert. So he was meditating, meditating, and meditating. And after about one hour, boom, he dropped. He dropped down. And right in the middle of the fall, there was a huge hand, boom, holding him and pushing up to the cliff. And then a man appeared by his side. Oh, who is this Deva? Why are you, are you saving me? Why are you saving me? The Deva is Wei Pusa. You know the Buddha statue right watching us? Right in the center right there in the shrine? Do you have the incense burner? There was a, a, a Deva. Have, there's the sword is pointing down. Wei Pusa, huh? Protection of Buddhism. He was a Deva. And this Deva always wanted to protect practitioners of Buddhism. And he said, I am Veda. Uh, I'm protecting you because you have the courage to do that. I respect people who have the courage, even at the expense of 
sacrificing your life, you still want to get enlightened. I like to protect that kind of people because you can risk your life into practice. So you, you are very good in your practice, so I must protect you. I won't let you die. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I want to practice again. But I want to ask you one more question. I ask one more question. So I think there must be not many people like me who can practice like that. All of a sudden, he feels some arrogance in him. I am that kind of a person who is courageous, and not many people are like that. So I even get the protection from the deva. So I must be very high level. And Vedor Deva said, Oh, all of a sudden, you're not humble anymore. Because of the lack of humbleness, I'm not going to protect you anymore. You're not humble. You're arrogant. I'm not protecting you anymore for 500 lives. For f I, I always like to protect people who practice, who even at the expense of sacrificing his life, but because you are arrogant, you're not humble, I'm not going to protect you anymore. So all of a sudden, Vedor disappeared. And this meditator was really regretful. Oh, I was very arrogant. I, I was not humble enough. Well, what should I do? Well, I'll continue. I don't really care. I must, I must not go into sleep. I must continue to practice at the edge of the cliff. And even though if I drop dead, so let be it. If I drop dead, let be it. Because I want, what's the use? If I always sleep, I cannot get enlightened. What's the use of living? I, I may as well prefer death. So he continued to, to meditate at the, at, at the edge of the cliff. And he continued to meditate and meditate. But he was so tired that, boom, he dropped again. The second time dropping into the cliff. And then this hand appeared again and pushed him up. Oh, why did you save me, Deva Veda? Because of one thought already surpassed 500 lives. Because you're so courageous, because you're, you're even at the, at the sacrifice of your life, you still want to continue. That thought already surpassed 500 lives. So I came back for you. But at that time, he was really very enlightened and he continued to practice. And he for, no more sleeping anymore for him. So sleeping is a major shortcoming of the practice of Buddhism. Sleeping. Uh, so you ask me, when do you know to stop when you are meditating? If you are sleeping, you don't know when to stop until your head hit the floor. Then you boom, you stop. But if you, if you are not sleeping, I'm sure you know when to stop. When the bell goes, you don't know how to you know, stop. Go for lunch, you go stop. Next question in the same paper. How long does an individual stay in hell or ghost realm? That is, are you stuck forever once you're in that realm? Don't. If you're in that realm and you got stuck forever in there, that means there's, there is permanence. That is self-sustaining nature and that's contradictory. So nothing is not changing. Everything is impermanent, even people suffering in hell. Maybe for a long time, but that's not going to be permanent. When the time ripes, it will go on to the next realm again. So you'll not be in hell all the time. It may be for a very long time, but you may not be there all the time. I read in a sutra that 
there was a, uh, a very corrupt and vicious official in, the, in a certain ancient dynasty in China. And he was responsible for a rebellion against the king and he was responsible also for the killing of a very, of a very courageous general uh, in the imperial court. He talked the king into killing that general. And that general was so patriotic that the, the whole country, all the people of that country loved him. So later people find out uh, about the corruption of this, of this official uh, and, uh, and he was punished accordingly. And then this official, when he died, he went down to hell because of, of his corrupt practices. And then Siddhagabha Bodhisattva was preaching Buddhism in hell. And one day he met, he met that official. Siddhagabha Bodhisattva said, why don't you chant the Buddha's name? If you chant enough of that Buddha's name, then you may have the merit to get out from hell. And this official was so covered with impurity and mental afflictions that, you know what he said? I don't want to chant in the name. I suffer in, I'm suffering and I don't want to chant in the name. And Siddhagabha said, just Amitabha. In, in the mind of Siddhagabha, Siddhagabha Bodhisattva, if he said, I don't want to chant Amitabha, still he chants Amitabha, right? Then he may have an elevation. But you know what he said? He said, I don't want to chant that name. He didn't even mention Amitabha because he was so much covered with coming energy that he didn't even mention negatively that name. Because once you mention that name, that it hits your ally consciousness, you may have a chance to get out. But even that, he didn't have, he didn't have the, the benefit of that name to get out from hell and his suffering in hell. So how long? Depends on karmic energy in hell. Next question. Uh, Reverend, what do you think about abortion? Do you agree with abortion? Human abortion, I already mentioned a few weeks ago, the Buddhist teaching is against all killing. Is abortion a killing? Abortion is a killing. And According to the United Nations statistics, you, you know how many abortions are there per day? How many babies get killed internationally? Abortion. Four million. Check Google if you don't believe me. Four million per year abortions uh, internationally. So imagine approximately about 15 million got killed in the First World War. And the First World War lasts for how long? Two, three years? So, every year, four million aborted children, aborted death. So, three years is 12 million already. Four millions, we human beings, kill four million babies per year. And who are these babies? They are your sons and daughters. You kill your own sons and daughter every year, four millions. You imagine what kind of practices you're doing. What do you do atrociously? You kill your own, not just your own species, your own beloved ones. You brought him to the world because of your 
of your the sensual satisfaction that you require or whatever whatever it is your love you call it love quote and unquote I don't know if you know what is love by your definition of love you come to this sensuous world and you thought that you need that kind of relationship and because of that you brought that baby to the world if you brought that baby to the world you have a responsibility to keep him alive but usually most people said I didn't bring him to the world I just did it out of my uh, I didn't know about it they preach ignorance so abortion the Buddhist teaching does not agree with any killing and also why did that baby come to the world because of you your relationship and when a baby come to the world he will grow up if you don't have the abortion and usually there are four reasons why they come to this world your children four reasons why your children come to this world to be your sons to be your daughters well there's four reasons still remember number one repayment of a debt he's going to repay you because he owe you something in the previous lives number two is request for repayment from you so you got to pay him you got to bring him up you got to give him the education you got to give him all he wants he hates you he dislikes you he showed no filial piety towards you. He just wants you to repay his debt. If he is repaying you, you are okay. Because he's making all the money and said, Mom and Dad, I'm giving you a big a, 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 a Mercedes Benz for Christmas. Because he owe you the money. He didn't mean to love you. He didn't love you. He just gave you the money. So it's repayment of debt or request for repayment of debt. Now that is purely on material. There are two other reasons based on emotions because he had he, he came back for the repayment of an emotion because he loved you and you didn't love her him before now he come back with the love you have to love him love her the baby he doesn't love you but you loved him so their parents who love the children so much but their children hate them your repayment of an emotion or you ask for repayment of emotion or maybe he loves you and you don't love him the children who love his parents so much and then his brother or sister didn't love the parents because he's repaying his emotional love to the parents it could be vice versa so all these children come with a reason all this we are, we are together with unfinished businesses could be a debt could be an emotion which one it is for you you know it's private okay so the Buddhist teaching said no killing so I no more no abortion don't do that kind of relationship irresponsibly because you brought that baby to the world yourself although it's through ignorance you have to live up to it be responsible don't just kill him you could kill the you could kill the mom too the pregnant woman too it could be two lives next question
Currently, there's a man on death row for a ter terrible crime. He would like to donate his organs, but this has become controversial because some feel there is a kind of redemption in this act, so think this should not be allowed. Well, donation of an organ, we talk about it many times. When a man passes away, when a, when a person passes away, his consciousness may not leave within the eight hours. So he still have feelings. The dead person may be clinically pronounced as death, uh, but he still have feeling within the eight hours. If he has still feeling, if you cut him open and get his heart out and get his liver out and get his lung out, get his kidney out, bladder out, he feel the pain. He still could feel the pain. Because if anybody donates his organ, it has to be operated on immediately after death. Otherwise, the organ is useless. It has to be maybe one hour, within one hour. But that man still has the painful feeling. Imagine someone cut you open without anesthesia. It's highly controversial. But on the other hand, if you are a bodhisattva and you said, I can stand the pain as long as my organ would help someone. Even I feel painful, it's just about for eight hours, seven hours. I can stay. I'm a bodhisattva. I sacrificed my life for it. So let be it. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. Then donate your organ. If you think that you're a bodhisattva, you don't mind standing the pain, you don't mind going through all this suffering yourself, even though you're dead, you can't move, then that's good. I, I really compliment you for doing that. That is really a great thing to do. But if you're just an ordinary person who, who, who does not want to be cut open, um, who think that if you want to go to the pure land, say if you want to go to the pure land, you chant so much, and then at the juncture of death, somebody cut you open, you're agonizing, you cannot concentrate, and you cannot go to the land of bliss because of this pain, then you may still roll into reincarnation. This is controversial. I'm not going to say yes, and I'm not going to say no, because it all depends on the circumstances.